This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Church, very happy to be here today. Uh, I don't, if you don't know me, my name is Ethan Muir. I'm the Connections Director here, um, and I've been doing that for about nine months now. So it's been a good nine months. Uh, it's been a busy nine months, but I love it. Um, yeah, so about that nine months ago, I, I approached Dave and Jess, and I asked if I could, uh, if there's any area that I could serve in. Um, you know, uh, I've got a pretty uh, demanding career. I've got three kids, and I'll get into them later. But um, so I said, where can I serve? Kind of during the week or, you know, elsewhere that doesn't require me to, you know, necessarily be here on a Sunday, even though I'm always here on a Sunday. And they said, uh, connections. They needed somebody to fill that, uh, that void. Um, so I happily did it. Now, I would say that this is kind of what I love to do. This is what I'm drawn to. Uh, you know, some of you have seen me give announcements, and I'm a ham. I love being up here. I love making jokes. Uh, but, um, yeah, God just kind of draws me to this. And I wonder for us, like, what is God drawing you to? You know what I mean? Uh, things that maybe you don't uh, necessarily think of, you know, oh, is that serving God? Like when I make a fool of myself, is that, can I serve God that way? Yeah, you can. You can get up here on a Sunday like me. Um, okay, so before I get into the verse that changed my life, and I promise we will talk about the Bible today, but before I get into that, I want to talk about core memories. Uh, who knows what I mean when I say core memories? Right? We all have them. You're starting to think about them right now. This is like a new trend on like TikTok and uh, I'm old. I don't use TikTok. I use YouTube shorts. Right? <laughs> every, every kid in here is like, yeah, you're old. Um, but, you know, on TikTok you'll see these videos of, uh, I don't know, it'll be something like this. Does that bring back a core memory for anybody? For me, Right? You start, you, you start smelling the old French fries. You start smelling, you know, the stale urine. Like, you, yeah, you know, right? This is a core memory, right? It is for me. When I see something like that, or I take my kids, I'm trans- I close my eyes, I'm transported back. I'm going down a slide. I slip through something wet. I, I forget what it is. I'm not paying attention. I want to play, Mom and Dad, right? That's a core memory. So there'll be a picture like that. I'll say, core memory unlocked. Or it'll be if someone like some kid who's like five and he's getting chased by a chicken, right? And he's got this look of terror on his face like, no, mom, save me from this chicken. And the mom's laughing. Yeah, did that happen to you? Yeah. It happened to me. My brother right here. He chased me with a dead bird when I was five. Guess what he gave me? A core memory. Yeah, to this day, I'm still afraid of birds. Yeah, so if you have a bird, please stay away from me. Now, before you guys start going down this rabbit hole of your own core memories, because everyone's thinking about them right now, I want to tell you about a more recent core memory of mine. Uh, This isn't as funny as McDonald's Play Place, unfortunately. I wish it was, but it's not. But it is just as transforming. Um, I'm sure a lot of you, uh, you know, are thinking back to those, but uh, this one core memory that I have, I'm... Well, this is, this is about my wife and I. So I'm driving home from church one Sunday with my, my, my new bride, 
we haven't been married very long, maybe a year or two. We're driving home from church, and I, I can't remember what they were talking about that Sunday. It, I don't, and I don't really know if it was that important, right? But I'm driving home from church, and I, I, I feel the weight of all these things that I'm hiding from my wife. Um, I can remember the car. I can remember the weather outside. It was springtime. I can remember. I can remember everything about that moment. Much like any core memory, you remember these things. Now, before I get to that, I'm going to backtrack. The first core memory was uh, when I was 12 years old. <clears throat> I was standing in my house. I can remember everything. I'm standing at the top of the stairs just to the left. I can remember the paint color on the walls. This is like late 90s, early 2000s, and it was like that disgusting orange, right? Some of you still have that. Maybe it's time to paint. But I remember the color on the walls. I remember everything. And I remember, I can, I can remember what my mom was wearing that day. And she walked up. She, she came up the stairs to me. And she said uh, that, her dad and, that my dad and her were separating. I can remember the blue dress with the flowers on it. I can remember her short, curly hair. Core memory was unlocked at that moment. Now I know what you're thinking. How can such a stand-up guy like me, right, have such a forbidden thing in his past, like divorce in his family? Oh, no. Oh, no, he's human. But that's the point of my message today. We're all broken people, made by broken people, and unless we're God... We're going to make broken people. That's why this is the verse that changed my life. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10, if you have your Bibles. To keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that my parents' divorce is what broke me. And I'm certainly not saying that you should be ashamed of divorce if that's part of your story. Or if you're a child of divorce or if, if you are divorced. I'm not saying any of that, okay? What I am saying is that in my story, that matters. In my story, that made a difference. So let me tell you a bit more about my story. And that's what I'm going to do today. I really just want to tell you a story. Okay? So, my story. I was raised by God-fearing parents in a God-fearing house. And we attended church every Sunday. And I still do. Obviously. I'm, I'm here. I have three older siblings. I'm the youngest of four. And if you're wondering 
why I'm up here, it's because I'm the youngest of four, okay? The, all the attention is on me, all the time. So I have two older brothers, you may know them, Josh, Joel, they attend here. We have an older sister, her name's Alyssa. I have beautiful parents. We grew up in, uh, in Vancouver in a three-bedroom house that had one bathroom for six people. That's right, one bathroom. I'm sure my, my mother and my sister would have preferred more bathrooms, but um, for us, it wasn't a big deal, right? For the guys, it wasn't a big deal. And, I mean, we kind of had two. There was this old concrete sink in the basement. You know, you know where I'm going with this. Is this too much information? A little bit? Yeah, my brother's like, oh, yeah, I remember that sink. Core memory. <laughs> Today, I have a similar problem. I don't lack bathrooms anymore. Okay, I've got a lot of bathrooms, but I have three times as many women in my house. This, this is a problem. I, I have a beautiful wife, talented, amazing. She was on the keys this morning. Give it up for my wife. She's awesome. I definitely married up, if you know what I mean. And I have three beautiful girls, Grace, Nellie, and Maya. I think I have a picture of them, in case you don't know who they are. Look at those cuties. Yeah. Nellie can never take a good picture, though. Never. So that, uh, that's my family. Love those girls. But I, I still have the same problem. I don't have a bathroom to go into because they're all using them. Um, so when Heather, first, when Heather and I first got together, um, I didn't realize it, but there was a lot of skeletons in my closet. Uh, some things that I, I didn't realize that would um, eventually become a problem, some things that I should have realized would be a problem. But I was prideful, and I, I was, you know, I was going to be the perfect husband. Um, and I would say that I was on a rather ambiguous path when we, when we met. I was, um, wasn't really serving the Lord. I mean, I would attend church sometimes, but... When I did, I, I usually showed up hungover. And uh, yeah, it, it was just one foot in and one foot out. You guys know what I mean? I didn't really commit to the way of Christ. I didn't really commit to this thing called Christianity. And, but I didn't really commit to, you know, abandoning it either. So I went on a missions trip, a short-term missions trip to El Salvador where he Heather and I met. And that was awesome, and I have plenty of more gross and disgusting stories I could share with you about that, but I think I've hit my quota for today. Um, but this was just, you know, when, when I was at church, I was at church. When I wasn't, it was clear I wasn't. And the, occasionally when I did share my faith with people, I would say, you know, I would get reactions like, you are a Christian? You go to church? Yeah. K kinda? Yeah. Yeah, I do. But it was half-heartedly. And that should have been a red flag for me. What I know is that there was a multitude of issues going on in my, in my life at that time. So I met my wife. I thought, man, I gotta lock that down. She's amazing. Can't let that get away. <laughs> it's the best I'm gonna see ever. 
So I did. Thankfully, she was maybe blind or love drunk. We had to face many challenges in those first few years of marriage. I mean, all the married people here will know that, and if you're newly married, maybe you're experiencing that right now. We had to face a lot of challenges. And a lot of those challenges were a result of trauma in my past manifesting in a lot of unhealthy ways. For, for starters, I was overweight. I was a big boy. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that weight is an indication of spiritual unwellness. I'm not saying that weight is an indication of, um, you know, bad behavior or any, uh, anything like that. So when you're listening to me, please understand that I'm not advocating those things, but I'm just telling you that this is a part of my story. So that was the first indication that something was wrong in my life. For me, there was a deep-seated issue that went beyond that, but that, that's how it was manifesting. I was addicted to tobacco. Now, again, that's not wrong. That's not a bad thing. But for me, it was. It was, it was how I was manifesting, how I was dealing with my problems. And that wasn't, that wasn't a good thing. And shortly after we got married, I had this addiction to pornography that resurfaced in my life. That may be uncomfortable to hear, but this is the reality. This is my story. I want you guys to hear this. This is like, you need to know who I am, right? If I'm going to be a pastor here, if, if I'm going to be somebody that you guys talk to and you lean on, and I want to be that, you need to know who I am and where I'm coming from. And that was part of my story. So all of these things were, were going on in my life. And I was just married, and it, it had been like a year or two, and like, oh, it was crushing me. Like the weight of it was pushing down. So this is the next core memory. My wife and I, newly married, driving home from church. I messed up in my sermon, by the way. If you couldn't tell earlier, I started talking about this when I shouldn't have. So So this is the next core memory. I'm driving home from church with my new wife. And I'll get back to the scripture, I promise. We're driving home from church. I can remember the weather. I'm driving my old Jeep. I can remember the smell in my Jeep. It was really old. It was bad. But I remember the weight of all these things just pressing down on me. And I felt terrible. And my wife and I pull into the driveway. And it's funny, Heather and I remember this story much differently. right? She remembers we were fighting a lot on the way home. Of course, I remember it differently. Right, men? We do, don't we? <laughs> you didn't tell me that. We're driving home. I pull into the driveway. I park the car. And she looks at me, like through me, and she says, what is wrong with you? Probably because we were fighting. I just came undone. Like I poured out everything to her. Here's what I've been doing. I can't hold it in anymore. It's crushing me. I'm lying to you. It says what's happening in my life, and I don't know how to deal with it, and it's coming out in all these ugly ways. That was the issue. It wasn't, it wasn't those things. It was, the issue was my hurt and my pride. Pride's always the issue, right? 
I'm too afraid to admit to my wife what's going on. I was so afraid that I would end up in divorce. Cue previous core memory. I was so afraid that this would be my story, that I wouldn't let it. I needed to be the perfect husband. I needed to be the perfect man. Nothing I could do was at a step. I needed to be that because I needed to stay married no matter what. I didn't care if it was a happy marriage. I didn't care if I was happy. I needed to stay married because that's what I thought mattered. So it was my pride. It was gripping me, and I needed to be this person. So I, I poured all of this out to my wife. I didn't, I, didn't let, I didn't hide anything. I got it all out. This was my uh, road to Damascus moment. If, uh, if any of you are unaware of the, the road to Damascus, I'm going to put some text up on the screen. It's in Acts 9. I'm just going to explain it quickly. So Paul, he's persecuting the church. His name's Saul at that time. So he's persecuting the church relentlessly. He's standing over approval of, of apostles being killed. And Paul's on his way to Damascus with letters from the church to persecute more Christians. And a bright light com- comes down, it shines on Paul, and it, it, it just it cripples him. It puts him on his knees, and it blinds him. And it speaks to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He says, who are you? I don't know who you are, Lord. I'm Jesus, who you persecute. So if you continue reading the story, you'll understand that this is Paul's transformational moment, right? And this is a common phrase. This isn't just... A Christianese phrase anymore. This is a commonplace phrase that we use, the, our road to Damascus moment. That moment is when transformation occurs. Something happens. Now we're different. This was Paul's. This moment in my Jeep, this was my road to Damascus moment. Something had to change. Something had to change. I needed a bright light to shine down on me and blind me. So I came undone in that moment. Now this is what transformed me. The confession of the sin, although it felt like, it, you know, I was kind of heaving that burden off and I was, I was unburdening myself, that's not what transformed me. What transformed me was my, my wife's actions. My wife turned to me after I just emptied myself. And she looked through her pain. She looked through the hurt she was experiencing. She saw past what was going on in her life, and she looked at me, and she saw somebody broken in front of her. And what she said was, I love you. I still get emotional thinking about it. She looked at me. She said, I love you. That must have been really hard for you. (laughs) Who does that? Who offers such grace to somebody broken like that, to somebody who had wronged them? 
See, my wife's, my wife's actions reflected the Savior that she serves. They reflected that grace that, that God gives us. That's what transformed me, was that grace that she offered me, was the, I love you. That must have been hard for you. Maybe that's what people can see in us as Christians. Rather than judgment, rather than feeling like we're just, we're better than them, we're not. We're weak, but we've accepted the kindness of a Savior. My wife's love and display of grace reflects her Savior. I feel like I need to say that again. And maybe we can reflect our Savior. See, in, a, in that moment, I thought if a human being being flawed could show me that grace, how much more does my God love me? How much more does he look down on me in that moment and say, I love you? So that was my moment. That was my road to Damascus moment. That was the start anyways. Now, I'd first read this scripture, 2 Corinthians. I'm going to put it back up. Um, I'd first read this when I was in high school. I'd started with uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I kind of muddled through. And like any, um, you know, ill-experienced Bible reader, I kind of read my Bible like a horoscope. Does anybody know what I mean by that? It means I picked it up and I just flipped the pages till it landed. You know, there's that game we used to play with a globe. You guys remember globes? This is before Google Maps. And you spun the globe, and then you closed your eyes, and you put your finger down, and that's where you were going to live, right? And I'd always, we had this globe that was kind of bumpy, and I'd always go to, like, the southern hemisphere and just wait for the big bump and stop. It was always Australia. Yeah. Then later I learned about all the deadly things that will kill you there. So I started there, and, and, and I just kind of, you know, I read the Gospels. I wanted to know what Jesus said. And in my Bible, these were red letters. And I didn't really know anything about Romans or Acts or First or Second Corinthians. So as I was reading, kind of ill-informed, what caught my eye was the red letters. If you don't know what I mean by that, a red-letter Bible is a Bible where everything Jesus says is in red. And in, in a lot of black, there was red. So it caught my attention. What does this mean by red letter? Or sorry, what, is this, what does this mean? What, why would Jesus all of a sudden show up in 2 Corinthians? He's been gone for a while. Power and weakness, my grace is sufficient. I could, but I couldn't, I couldn't get the words out of my head. Because I, I didn't understand why all of a sudden he spoke. So fast forward 10 years, there I am, I'm sitting in my Jeep with my wife, and I'm blubbering like a baby in her arms, and she's being super gracious to me, and loving me, and transforming me, and she doesn't even know it. And all of a sudden, these words pop into my head, seemingly out of nowhere. My grace is sufficient for you. 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then I started crying even harder. I was a wreck, man. That's, that's really, that's, that's the transformation, is God's grace. His grace is sufficient. I don't have to be perfect. I wasn't perfect. I'm not perfect. He makes us perfect. And you read that, you hear that in the Bible, right? Like, be perfect for I, for I am perfect. He doesn't require us to be perfect. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, well, I'm not perfect. Uh, I lack things. There's things in my past. There's things I'm hiding, whatever it is. You don't have to be perfect. He makes us perfect. His grace working through us in our weakness, that's the perfection. That's the missing piece. If I'm doing anything today, I guess that's it. I'm, I'm boasting in my weakness. This is my story. I want you to see a broken man. I want you to see somebody that flopped, that made mistakes. And I'm not even getting into the bad parts. But in that, there is strength because Christ can use it. I want you to understand where I'm coming from. Now, I wouldn't be doing my job as a, as a pastor today, feels weird to say, or a preacher, if I didn't give you three things to take home, right? That's what I'm supposed to do. Three things. Let's count them out. Number one, and these are things that I learned through this lesson, through my road to Damascus moment. Number one, there is no honesty without vulnerability. The, those two go hand in hand. Especially in a relationship. Young people, if you're going to get married, please hear me when I say this. Be vulnerable with one another. And, like, to be clear about what vulnerability is, okay? Vulnerability is something that you tell somebody that would probably make you dislike, or make them dislike you, right? Not necessarily, but that's how you know you're being vulnerable. Like, oh... I don't really want to tell this. They might think less of me. I don't know if I can share this. This is kind of private. But you're in relationship that with that person. Okay, here's what vulnerability is not. Young guys, vulnerability is not telling a girl that you like to watch The Notebook when you're lonely. I just, you know, I don't know what it is. It's just the love story gets to me. And, uh, yeah, I like to watch that. Because what you're doing, right, what, you're, what we're trying to do, and I say that because this is me, what, what I'm trying to do is to make that girl like me more. I'm being vulnerable. Yeah, I'm being vulnerable. Bet you can't resist me now. I'm sensitive. You know what I'm saying? This is what we're doing. That's not vulnerability, right? We can agree that's not vulnerability. May, you may think it is. It's not. Okay. So rethink those conversations you had this week. Vulnerability is hard. Honesty is hard. But when you bare your soul to one another, and to be sure, this better be your husband or your wife or like who you intend to marry or if you're not married in a relationship with like a really good friend, like somebody you trust, okay? 
that's who that is. Please don't go bearing your soul to the cute guy or the cute girl that works at the boba cafe. That's not the person to bear your soul to, okay? But it's bearing your soul to one another. It's taking off your armor. It's taking off the things that prote- you think protect you. You're standing in front, of one, uh, in front of one another disarmed so that you can become that armor for one another. That's what being vulnerable is in a relationship. There's mutual trust. Number two, shame is binding. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Shame is binding. Paul talks about being slaves to sin no more in Romans 7. And that's exactly what shame feels like. It's a liar. It's a thief. Shame says she won't love you. That's what shame says. Shame says you can't tell anybody that secret. Nobody will understand. Shame says you're the only person going through that right now. Nobody else gets it. This is what shame says to us. Shame shame says don't say that. Do not say that, Ethan. Don't open your mouth and say that. Don't get up in front of a bunch of people, some you know, some you don't. Don't tell them about your past. Don't tell them about all the secrets you've been hiding. But the thing that we need to do to combat shame is the exact thing that shame's telling us not to do. The only way to combat shame is to put a light on it. What does Jesus say? He says, we light a candle. Do we put a bowl over it and hide it? No, we, let the ho- we, we put it on a lampstand. We put it up. We let the light shine on all the darkness. That's how we extinguish shame. You want to get rid of shame in your life? Talk about it. Talk about those hard things. You're in a church. You're in a place where people love you. Start talking about those things. If anybody understands that we need grace, it's the people here. Right? So start talking about those things. Let the light shine on them. Shame says don't say that. Probably say it. So if I'm telling you today shame is binding and, like, and I ask, are you bound by shame? You're going to say, no, I'm not. I'm okay. Maybe that's the shame talking. Maybe it's not. Maybe you're fine. But shame binds us. Let's break those chains. Start talking about these things. There are other people with other stories just like yours. And if we remember that, it'll be a lot easier to share those. Third thing, our witness is our weakness. Our weakness is our witness. Nobody's ever heard a story about somebody that got it all, that was really good at what they did, that succeeded in everything, and died happy. Like, okay, great. That's not my story. That's none of your stories, I'm guessing. Those stories don't have impact, right? You want to witness to somebody? You want to, like, really show God's power? Tell them about your life. Tell them about how God changed you. That's why I'm up here telling you about how God changed me. I'm up here telling you about the transformation that occurred because I want you to see God's power. 
I want you to leave here feeling like God has power in your life to do anything. Because he does. So I want to tell you about my weakness, about where I was and where he took me from. I want to tell you about how I wound up showing hungover on a Sunday to now preaching on a Sunday. Amen. How did I get there? That doesn't happen overnight. Our witness is our weakness. There's a, a quote by one of my favorite authors. His name is Donald Miller. The book is A Million Miles, A Thousand Years. I'm going to put it up here. He says, somehow we realize that great stories are told in conflict, but we are unwilling to embrace the potential greatness of the story we are actually in. We think God is unjust rather than a master storyteller. I don't want you to get the impression that I confessed all my sins to my wife. We kissed, we made up, and, and now I'm here. That's not my story. That was the start. There was a lot of hard work from that point. A lot of hard work. There was a lot of time in the gym. A lot of time in the gym. There was a lot of time with, with, therapy, with therapists. Understanding why I was acting the way I was acting. How I got from the traumas and the hurt. And how, why I was manifesting that way. And how I could prevent those things from happening. There was a lot of time with accountability partners. A lot of time. Meeting with my friend, keeping me accountable, battling addictions. <clears throat> there was a shift towards a disciplined way of life. I'm going to unpack discipline a little more uh, next week. So, you know, if you're here today thinking, wow, I got to hear more, come next week. And it's not like I don't struggle today. It's not like it's gone. We've all got that thorn in our flesh. There was stumbling. There was making mistakes. There was getting back up from those mistakes. There was stumbling again. There was getting back up again. The point is, that's where Christ is made known. In the good days, the bad days, it's in that journey that we're taking with him. It's once we come to this point of transformation and we can say, yes, God, I need your grace. I need this, that journey. That's where we find Christ. That's where he walks with us. That's where we need him. He's standing with you. When we submit our weaknesses to him, he can make his power shine. Then he can do miracles. And that's the story of the cross, right? That's the picture we get again and again and again in the Bible. There's weakness. There's redemption. Christ forgave the sins of, our, the sins of all of us. He forgave the sins of the world through his weakness. Is there anything weaker than a man hanging on a cross? Than somebody dying? Is there anything weaker? But through that weakness, we have the greatest power and the greatest miracle ever known. Throughout the first and second century, 
Christianity was known as the religion of women, children, and slaves. That's who associated with it. We know this from a Roman emperor who wrote about the sect and wrote the only people that adhere to it are women, Christians, slaves. Why? Because it appealed to the weak. Historically speaking, this is accurate. Now, please understand me. I have, a, I have a, an amazing wife and I have three beautiful children. I understand that women are anything but weak nowadays. I also understand that children are anything but powerless. That, like, my kids have all the power. Parents, right? But that's who it was, no- that's who it was associated to. That's, that's who was known for it. The poor, the weak, the helpless. Because it offered them hope. It offered them hope in the form of Jesus Christ. And that was enough. That's all Jesus needed to reach the world. Now we stand up here on a Sunday across North America, across the world, there are billions of Christians that follow Jesus Christ because it started with women, children, and slaves. It started as weakness. Only a man could create something great. And Jesus, like Jesus always does, says, watch this. And he's going to do that in our lives. He has the power to do that in our lives. Why? Because this is the last thing I'll say. I promise I'm almost done. His grace is enough. His grace is enough. And if, if it's one thing you take home with you today, out of all my babbling... It's this. His grace is enough. It's enough to move a mountain. It's enough to cure somebody. But it's also enough to quiet a broken heart. And I know you're sitting there, you're going, Ethan, you don't understand. I get you're saying this. His grace is enough. But my mom just died. My father just died. His grace isn't enough right now. I need more than his grace. I need a miracle. You don't understand, Ethan. I do. And his grace is enough. But you don't understand. You don't get it. My son, my daughter, they're not following Christ. They're so far from me. They're on the street. I don't know where they are. I'm broken. I need more than his grace. I need a miracle. Who needs a miracle today? Guess what? We have it. And over 2,000 years ago, he gave it to us. He died on a cross. The ultimate weakness, his grace is enough. And you're saying to me, it's not. I need a miracle. He gave you the miracle. His grace is enough. It's enough for me in a moment of weakness when I'm feeling like no one else is going to love me. It's enough for you in whatever you're going through. We all want that miracle. And he gave it to us. I'm going to start it quick.
Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.